Hello. You are now entering a life of grunge. We got messy hair, lots of flannels, ripped baggy jeans, and killer music. The center of what really made people get into the grunge era was Kurt Cobain. But where did Kurt come from? Welcome to Cryptic Soup. I was going to make a Nirvana joke here, but never mind. As I expected, before I started doing heroin, it, I, uh, I realized that I knew it at the beginning that it would be just, become just as boring as marijuana does, you know, like all drugs. After a few months, it, it's just as boring as, you know, breathing air, you know, so I just, I just don't want to try. I've always lied about it because I never wanted, I didn't want to influence anybody, you know, I didn't want anyone to even consider the thought of doing drugs because it's, it's really stupid. Why did you entitle it? Why did you entitle the uh, the album Nevermind? I don't know. So I could brush off the question. Forget yeah. it. Never, Doesn't, never matter. Mind. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Do we like it? Kylie, do you want to explain <laughs> why you did a robot voice in the intro? I don't know. Were you just feeling it? Okay. Oh, Is it because like, I put hello at the beginning? Yeah, like it's. You, you know, are now entering yeah. the zone. Okay, but did you get the joke? You know how we always make a joke in the intro? Did you uh, get the joke? Uh, What's the joke? The Nevermind joke? Why? Because it's the album. Good job. Kylie, I really didn't think you would get it. Yeah. <laughs> Nevermind is a Nirvana album. <laughs> get it? Like, Nevermind? It might be the only album I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. Hmm. It's fine. No, you know another one, probably. I probably don't know the name. Oh, okay. I'm really bad with those. Well, guys, uh, hey, what's up? I'm Athena. <laughs> and I'm Kylie. And we are here giving you a two-parter. <laughs> a two-parter. A two-parter episode. This is part one. Two parts. Two parts. We really didn't intend for this. <laughs> but then Athena got a hold of... Of Kurt Cobain? <laughs> well, I wish I got a hold of Kurt Cobain. <laughs> um, no, I started typing and I kept telling myself, all right, 10 pages max. Once I hit 12 pages, I was like, all right, 12 pages max. And then I have 15. I was like, all right, 15 pages. And now we're sitting nicely on 24-ish pages, and I'm hoping we're done. For example, <laughs> if you haven't listened to uh, Lake Lanier, wasn't that 18 pages? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and that was a two-parter, so. Skinwalker Ranch yes. was 28 pages or something. Which like was three parts. Okay, <laughs> welcome. Welcome to Kurt Cobain. <laughs> welcome to Cryptic Kurt Soup Cobain. We are here. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to talk about was Kurt's name. It's Kurt Donald Cobain. No. <laughs> I mean, yes, it is. It's a horrible middle name. Oh, well, it's his, his dad's name. name. Like, okay, but it doesn't. Okay, okay, well, hold on. So what happened was when we went and saw the Batman with my mom and Margie, they yeah. know that I love Nirvana. So I thought that they would just believe anything I say, which turns out they did. Um, so when the credits were rolling, you know, cause we stayed till the end to watch the little clip mm -hmm. and it said like something in the way, a original song by the band Nirvana written by Kurt D Cobain. And I looked at my mom and Margie in the most dead like face. <laughs> and I go, you know, his middle name's Dwayne. 
And they were both like, oh, that's a nice male name. And I was like, you know, like Dwayne. No, like Dwayne. <laughs> and they were like, okay. And I was like, Kurt Dwayne Cobain. You don't think that's fucking funny? <laughs> like, they did not think it was funny at all. And then I was like, okay, well, that, that is not his male name. I just thought you'd find that funny. It's, so I'll go fuck myself now. It's, it's Donald, but okay. Moving on. <laughs> Dwayne Cobain. I thought it was real fucking. All right, let's just talk about Kurt. All right, so we're going to talk about today in episode one, his beginning life and some stuff. We're going to we're going to start teaching you who Kurt is because you don't know anything, do you, Kylie? Nope. OK, we're going to try to stay biased. OK. In episode one, in episode two, Athena is going to let all fucking <laughs> shit out of the window. I have opinions and you're going to hear them. <laughs> you're going to hear them. Damn it! <laughs> I will be heard! <laughs> so, Kurt Donald Cobain was born February 20th in 1967. He is a Pisces cusp. He shares a birthday with Rihanna. And that is National Handcuff Day. That is a weird day. I would handcuff Kurt Cobain. <laughs> Sexual innuendo was applied. Like, yeah, handcuffs are cool. Let's make it a whole Let's day. Let's make a whole day. <laughs> They're on sale 10% off. <laughs> Like what? He was born at Gray's Harbor Hospital in Aberdeen, Washington. We're just talking about Washington today. Also, not me completely thinking about Gray's Anatomy the second you say that. (sighs) Why are you like this? (laughs) Aberdeen is a log and milling town. People said it was a great place to raise children and have a family. It's about two-ish hours south of Seattle. If you ask more like the youth type people, they'll be like, God, this place fucking sucks. It's boring. There's nothing to do. It rains all the time. It's a Washington area. Like the only thing to do is like chill with your friends, smoke weed and listen to music. So keep that in mind about what Kurt probably grows up and does. In like, this what's what's the problem with that? Kurt had a mother named Wendy who was a waitress. His father was a mechanic named Donald, hence his middle name. Mm-hmm. His parents met when they were younger. His dad was actually working at a gas station. They kind of like fell in love. It It took a little bit, but. They got married and they were told by everyone they needed to start having kids and get a move on with life because they were going too slow. So they got married July 31st, 1965. Shortly after that, that's when Kurt came along. Kurt was the first grandchild on both sides and it made him the center of attention in the family. He was very hyper and playful. His parents always mentioned that he would jump off furniture. He would cause a ruckus. He would be loud all the time. So he was... um. A child. <laughs> sounds sounds not for me. It sounds like a typical boy. Like when I think yeah. of a boy, I think of him like running on top of something and being like, I'm going to jump off this. Mm. Or like the floor is lava type thing. Yeah. Yes. It was not long before it was it was not long after this, actually, that the Cobains had their next child on April 24th, 1970. They had a daughter named Kimberly. That's pretty much all we're going to talk about, Kimberly. Okay. (laughs) I I glossed over her. I just did. Wouldn't you guys know that Kurt had a sibling? Now, even as a child, Kurt looked literally exactly like how he does as an adult. He had those intense blue eyes and that bright blonde hair. He was friggin' beautiful. Kurt was spoiled by his grandparents, but his dad was not the most comforting of people. Kurt's dad had the motto, kids should be seen and not heard. You don't know what you're having if your motto is kids should be seen and not heard. Yeah, I just I'm not a kid person, so I just 
I can't. But I know if I'm around kids, they're going to be fucking loud. Yes. Especially young boys. Yes. Yeah, you can't stop that. In some interviews, there's like one or two interviews and they're in some of the documentaries. Kurt talks about his dad like he was almost abusive at times, even saying that his dad was just really physically and mentally aggressive towards him. But Kurt, however, was still a very inspiring, fun, excitable child. Kurt ended up being taken to a pediatrician as a child because he was given Ritalin to help with his ADHD. In this time period, it was super common for any overactive child to be diagnosed with ADHD and just give them meds. However, for Kurt, it was not just excitement. Kurt was known to be talented, who loved making art. He was encouraged by family members to always be creative. It was not long till Kurt decided that he was going to take an interest in music. His family all had musical backgrounds that really inspired him. His uncle Chuck played in a band called the Beachcombers. His aunt Marietta Earl played guitar and performed in bands. His great uncle Delbert had a career as an Irish tenor making appearances in the 1930 film King of Jazz. Along with music, the Beatles were a huge influence on Kurt and his family remembers him singing Hey Jude as young as two years old. And by four years old, Kurt started learning how to play the piano. When Kurt was nine years old, that's when things took a turn. His parents got divorced, which was really wild at the time because couples were known to just stay together. Especially in a small town like Aberdeen, it got people talking. You know what I'm thinking of? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, because I was going to say, yeah, they really gave him something to talk about. But before I could even have that thought, I started thinking of Will, per- Will Ferrell being like, let's give him something to talk about. Oh, my God. <laughs> From Step Brothers. Uh, okay. <clears throat> so this was a small town. You know, a, a couple getting divorced was going to be a big deal. It was going to start rumors. Donald ended up moving out. The kids stayed with their mom at this point, both kids. Now, around this time, Kurt's mother noticed that his personality was vastly changing and he became very rebellious, but withdrawn from his family. Kurt later in life did say this divorce had a profound effect on his life that made him feel almost like ashamed. Which is weird because he would he he didn't really like his dad. So wouldn't he be kind of thankful for that? In my mind, it's that ashamed feeling because, like, you're the town rumor, like you're yeah. the you're the family that broke up, like why and stuff, and so you're almost ashamed, being like, my, something's wrong with my family. That's why. Yeah. He, okay. Instead of like those kids that think like it's their fault, he thought like it's it's his whole family's fault, and his family's something to be ashamed like, of, shunned, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kimberly and Kurt went to live with their mother while their father moved away. Like I had mentioned, Kurt was turning into a wild child. His mother would say Wendy claimed that he would lock the babysitter outside or sometimes he would just take light bulbs out and hide them. (laughs) Really some rebellious shit right there. But that would be really annoying if you just like, yes, flip on a light and it doesn't work. Damn it. Where the fuck is I fucking replaced it yesterday? (laughs) His mother claimed this wild behavior made Kurt too hard to handle so she sent him to go live with his dad now i also had said that kurt and his dad didn't have a super loving relationship kurt actually clung to the one promise his father made him and that was that donald told kurt he would never remarry 
So guess what Don did next? He 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 remarried. Well, um, ding ding ding. Yes, <laughs> Don met a woman named Jenny Westaby and got married. Jenny, Don, Kurt, Mindy, and James, those are Jenny's two children, all moved into a new home together. And surprisingly, things actually started getting really good. Kurt realized that Jenny was the maternal figure he would need in life, and he loved having her around. But instead of things staying that way and staying great, Kurt was working on fixing his attitude and stuff, but the teen angst started back up again because Jenny and Don had a baby together in January of 1979. This turned all of Jenny's attention and diverted it to the baby now. With that happening, Kurt realized he didn't have that mother-like figure in his life, and he again felt lonely, stranded, just, you know, like, out of place. So, with the birth of baby Chad Cobain, Kurt decided his family was not a real family because it was too messy of a family, and it's not what he wanted, so he started to dislike and resent his stepmom, her kids, and his dad. Because of this, Kurt moved back into his mother's house. I feel like we're playing ping pong right now. It's very, very teen angsty. (laughs) This story is riddled with teen angst. Yeah. (laughs) You would never guess, right? Right. Now, instead of there being a bunch of contrast and being like, okay, he went back to his mom's and things are getting better. Nope. It was actually a ton worse at his mom's house. The man that his mom had started dating was abusive and violent. Kurt told stories about witnessing his mother getting physically abused, but his mother never pressed charges or reported anything. So we could chalk this up to we don't know if it's true still, but there are hospital records of her going in and like having bruises and issues during the relationship. One time she even went in with like a broken bone, I think it was like a wrist or something like that. But Wendy never addressed that any of it was the fault of her boyfriend. So, of course, it's all speculation. Now, again, I want to be like, but it's okay, Kylie. Things got better. (laughs) But I can't do that at all. So on June 28th in 1979, Wendy sent Kurt back to live with his father. Okay. Because that is the solution. That helped the the first time. No worries. She granted Don custody of the kids And Kurt was not growing out of the rebellious stage and, in fact, was getting worse. He was skipping school, smoking cigarettes, and being angry towards his family still. Around this time, he had his first drug experience, and it was with cannabis. Cannabis. I really was excited to put cannabis. It was in 1980, around the age of 13. He, after this, regularly used marijuana throughout his adulthood, but... Around this time, Kurt was using pot and alcohol to hide from his real life while beginning to think about suicide. He told himself, though, he can't kill himself till he gets laid. (laughs) Realistic goals there. (laughs) Yeah. He was stealing alcohol with friends from this girl who was known to be overweight. And um, disclaimer, this is not a term that I would normally use, but this is how Kurt and people told it back then. She was a retarded girl is how they called her because she had a learning disability that made her slower. So he decided that she, she was friendly with him and he was friendly with her and they had a good friendship in a sense. So he propositioned her like, "Uh, do you want to have a sexual experience with me? They both agreed and they said, yeah, but 
about halfway through it after they were naked, Kurt's like, yeah, I don't want to do this. I'm sorry. And just like left. Kurt then Classy. told <laughs> Well, you know, maybe no, he made the right choice, no, though. Me, uh, it could have been the right choice. We never know. <laughs> maybe. Kurt later told this story and said how everyone bullied him at school and everyone made fun of him and said he wanted to have sex with a retarded girl. Wow, really good comeback, guys. Wow, you're real, real cool. Like middle school, practically. Yeah. This made him start thinking that everything was just too much and he needed to do the only thing that would help him out of the situation, which is commit suicide. So he went down to some train tracks and he laid down on them. He put two cement blocks on his chest and told himself he was going to kill himself. It did not happen because when the train did come, it ended up being on the other track next to him and not on the track that he was on. So he decided that was an epiphany that he needs to change his life. And he was like, I mean, yeah, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, life, yeah. Life's got to got to be different. Yeah. Around this time, his family tried sending him to therapy to get help again. Don had realized that Kurt was not getting better with therapy this time, though. He just decided that since you're not getting fixed, I just don't want to be around you. So he started pawning his child off to anyone that would take care of him. Neighbors, friends, family, whoever. Kurt was literally just couch surfing at this point. He stayed a lot with his uncle, um, with some friends, some places he literally couch surfed for like almost a year. But then one thing changed. Kurt started staying with a friend who had a very religious background and they convinced him to go to church. Kurt decided to become a born again Christian and he started attending church and he was cleaning up his act and he believed that there was more to life than disobeying everyone around him. I don't know what changed, but this did not last long. And <laughs> Kurt later wrote songs about how his experiences with the religion play a huge part throughout his whole life and that he resented this part of his life. At some point during all this, Kurt did have a 14th birthday. That would have been February 20th, 1981. And at this time, his uncle, who he was staying with during that point, offered him for your birthday gift. Would you like a bike or a used guitar? Kurt chose the guitar. He started using this guitar to learn to play new songs like Led Zeppelin's song Stairway to Heaven. He also learned Louie Louie and Another One Bites the Dust. Sing it for me, Kylie. No. Do it. No. A triple dog dare you. Oh, you almost had it there. Yeah, you just needed one more. <laughs> Another one bites the dust. <laughs> I was watching this. I'm really glad you did that because I have a joke. I was watching this comedian. I didn't mean to. I was looking up clips to put in the episode and um, a comedian was talking about Nirvana. So it just like played as the next one. And this guy's like, you know, I really hate those people that are like, oh, you're wearing a Nirvana shirt. Name 10 Nirvana songs or name five songs. And this one time my daughter came home and she was wearing a Nirvana shirt. Now, first off, I knew this shirt wasn't hers. And so I decided I was like going to be a dick to her. And I was like, Oh, where'd you get that shirt? And she's like, it's mine. I love the band Nirvana. And I was like, no, you don't. Don't lie to me. All right. Name one Nirvana album. And she just looked at me and she goes, never mind. And I was like, OK, good job. You did it really well. <laughs> and she just stared at me because she didn't get it. And I was like, that's that's funny. I'm, I'm going to use that for our intro. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. I don't know where I got it from. <laughs> so Kurt was learning these songs and this led to Kurt wanting to write his own songs. And that becomes a really big part of Kurt's life. You would never guess, but it actually uh, went all the ways to he became a musician, Kylie. What? Yeah. He no played, way. He played a few songs. Just a few? Just a few. Oh, okay. Not just, too many. Not too many. 
At 15 years old, Kurt and his aunt recorded some songs together. It was the first time Kurt, Kurt, Kurt God damn it. First time Kurt started recording, he was getting into the, the, the idea of wanting to play his own music anytime, all, all the time. Beyond music, Kurt didn't have a ton of hobbies in school. He did not like sports. His father tried to get him to join sports and be a team player. Kurt was the most anti-team player you could imagine, though. And Kurt just didn't like most of the people in his school. Kurt did befriend a gay student at school and ended up also being bullied for that. And a lot of people called him gay. In an interview in the 1990s later in life, Kurt said that he liked being associated with a gay identity because... He didn't like people, and when they thought he was gay, they just left him alone. <laughs> he said, I started being really proud of the fact I was gay, even though I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, to I give you an that. example of how much he hated humans, he's like, oh, I'm so fucking proud I'm gay because I don't have to talk to people. Yeah. Oh, fuck, I'm not gay. Like, shit, I forgot. <laughs> That's okay. Kurt was skipping class a lot of time to hang out in the smoke shed behind the school. And Kurt didn't even end up graduating because since he was moving back and forth with his parents, he ended up moving back at in 1985 back with his mom again. And that was his sophomore year. So two weeks before graduation, his senior year, he realized he didn't have enough credits to graduate. So he just dropped out. His mother did not approve of this, so she gave him an ultimatum. She said, find a job or leave, because if you're not going to be in school, you don't need to be here. Kurt didn't end up making a decision, so his mother made one for him by packing his belongings and casting him out. I don't understand how you can do that. Just kick your own kid out and not care? Yeah. I mean, I don't like kids, but I mean, if it's mine, damn it, I'm going to take care of him. And it's not... Okay, even if he was doing like marijuana or something like that, doing marijuana, fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) Even if he was doing drugs back then the most he was doing was marijuana it seemed like so well it was actually so like come on it's not like your kid's like really the worst thing ever just you know take care of your fucking kid dude yeah teach him to make the right choices so that he's not going to be like this right kurt again began couch surfing he said that also during this time of homelessness sometimes he would sleep under bridges this Part of his life and sleeping under bridges is what inspired the song Something in the Way, which most people know because it is now the iconic song in the Batman 2022 movie that plays in the trailers as well as the beginning and the end of the film. I mean, a lot of people knew it before the Batman, but you really wanted to say the Batman, right? Actually, it wasn't that that popular of a song. No, I know. I know. But but yes. (laughs) Well, if you didn't know Nirvana that much, maybe. I mean, Corey doesn't didn't probably. Well, maybe Corey did. I'm trying to think of someone who like likes music, but probably doesn't like Nirvana. Because I know Corey doesn't like Nirvana. I feel like there's a lot of people that really like music and hate Nirvana. I know friends that hate grunge in general. They hate yeah. that like screechy. They hate the the tone, yeah. the messiness sound of it, which is yeah. what I like the about angst. it. Yeah. But I digress, as Kylie would say. (laughs) I just can't get over you fucking saying I digress in the intro that one fucking time. I don't know why. I just needed to say it. It didn't say I digress when I wrote it, y'all. That was a pure Kylie move. (laughs) I said like, however, and she's like, I digress. I just read it and that's what came to Mm, my brain. I can tell. (laughs) So I digress back to my point here, (laughs) y'all. 
Early in 19... <laughs> Gotta add a little Athena charm. <laughs> early in 18... No. Early in 1985, <laughs> at 18 years old, Kurt was working as a janitor and playing music with friends. Kurt and his friends formed a band called Fecal Matter. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds like the best band name I've they ever kept heard. it. <laughs> exactly. This band had Kurt Cobain singing and playing guitar, a future member of the Melvins, which is a band. Kylie, do you know who the Melvins are? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, uh, this person would later become part of the Melvins, the drummer Dale Crover, and he was playing bass in this band, but he becomes the Melvins drummer. Then there was a man named Greg Hokinson, Hokinson, playing drums. They spent several months rehearsing original material, but the and some covers, but they broke up in 1986. So they didn't stay together very long. Around 19 years old in 1986, Kurt got a new job at a Polynesian resort near his hometown of Aberdeen at Ocean Shores. And around this time, he also got his own apartment. Kurt did not like his job. He would sweep chimneys of the rooms. And since a lot of people didn't use the chimneys, he would just sweep for a short time, get them pretty clean. And then he would just use the rest of his shift shift to like watch TV and sleep. If I could like sleep at my job, that'd be nice. But I like I could probably get away with watching TV, but I don't think I could. I caught my coworker sleeping today at work and I didn't know what to do because like she is the hardest working little person. And so I was just like, yeah, you do that then. Oh, <laughs> and then the next lady came in and she's like, is blah, blah, blah asleep? And I was like, um, and she's like, I'll wake her up in a minute. Just let her sleep. I was Aww. like, OK, that's so cute. though. Well, because she like stayed late the day before and stuff like that. And Aww. like she was waiting on a phone call anyway. So she was going to have to wake up in like five minutes. And Yeah. OK, whatever. Regardless. <laughs> so Kurt spent his time also sleeping at work. <laughs> that's where I left off. Kurt was working. Kurt found himself a place to live. And in his spare time, he was filling it by going to rock concerts in Washington. Because remember, this is only, you know, like two hours away. Kurt had a girlfriend named Tracy, who he spent all of his free time with. They had met at a party. Shortly into dating Tracy, um, she invited Kurt to come move out to where she lived because she had a place in Olympia, Washington. This relationship was not healthy, though. It was riddled with a lot of fighting, a lot of financial issues, and it strained them both. Kurt would often take LSD while dating Tracy, and he would be strung out. But other friends, um, he had a friend named Christ, who will become very important in a minute. Christ was a friend from high school, and he said he would be fucked up and abusing drugs all the time. Christ also said during this time, Kurt was becoming an alcoholic. I'm going to explain who Chris is here real quick because I don't actually do it till much later. Chris is one of Kurt's friends from high school who later becomes a member of Nirvana. And his last name is Novo Novasek. Isn't that what it is? No, Novasek. Fuck. Sure. Of, of course, I can't remember his name in this. Novoselec. Novo Novoselec. I can't pronounce it right ever. Novoselec. I will. Chris Novoselec. Chris Novoselic. What up, Chris Novoselic? <laughs> All right. Done with that shit. Whew. I'll make sure to uh, correct you. <laughs> I think I only say Novoselic like once in the whole thing because I always know I'm going to fuck it up. Now, during this time period when 
Kurt and Tracy were dating, he started a downward slope for his mental health. Kurt was sleeping in during most of the daylight hours. He was becoming really introverted. He ended up getting fired from his job because they started monitoring him. And he admitted that he had no ambition and was just a really lazy person. So Tracy had to get a job to support both of them. Kurt was showing little to no motivation for anything except for his art projects that he seldomly worked on. But that was the only thing that sparked joy in him. Kurt was known to still be playing music all the time, but just not as often with people. He was doing it on his own. But while hanging out at a friend's band practice, he had re-met from high school the guy named Chris Novoselic. He tried convincing Chris to form a new band with him. It took him months for Chris to agree. And in the beginning stages, uh, this started out with a man that was their drummer named Aaron Burkhard, and they played every event they could, and they called themselves Nirvana. They wanted a name that set them apart from other bands. They wanted a less aggressive name. And so before they were Nirvana, they actually went with a few different options, and they played shows as most of these options. One of them was called Pen Cap Chew, and it was a painting that Kurt had made of, like, a chewed-off pen cap, literally, as it sounds. Mm. Okay. Another one was called Ted, Ed, and Fred. Nope. It's like Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> Another one was called Bliss. That one's not too bad, but Isn't it's not what I would expect their music to sound like. So, yeah. I, yeah. The next one was called Skid Row. Cool fucking band name. Like Skid Row, California. That's what it reminds me of. Obviously, because it's the there same word. There is a band, Skid Row. Okay. Well, now I sound stupid. I'm going to move on. <laughs> but then later they picked out Nirvana. And like I said, that's what they went with. So this was the beginning of how Nirvana was starting to form. The band was called Nirvana, and it was taken from the Buddhist concept, which Kurt himself described as freedom from pain, suffering, and the external world. So in 1987, this band was conceived. It was close to this time Kurt also had his first experience with heroin. It occurred sometime between 1986 and 1987. It will become a reoccurring problem throughout his whole life. I guess, trigger warning, if you don't know, this case is riddled with drug use. I'm sorry I didn't say that earlier. Most people should know that at this point, but there you go. There's your trigger warning. Kurt said he tried heroin about 10 times between the years 1987 and 1990. 10 times, that's all he says. 10 times. Do you think he did it only 10 no. times? Okay, I just want to make sure that we both agree on that. <laughs> He claimed he only did it to help with his stomach pains because he chronically suffered from them. In January of 1988, the band Nirvana recorded a 10-song demo. The demo had caught the ears of a head member of Sub Pop Records, and they offered to put out the band's song Love Buzz to see if it was a hit on the radio. Now, as much as there was good feedback, there was bad feedback, and the bad feedback was really hard for Kurt to deal with. He would get so upset and angry anytime he heard negative news, like irrationally angry. During Nirvana's first few years, they had multiple drummers that kept getting swapped out till a dude named Chad Channing took the spot to help record the new album, Bleach, in June of 1989 on Sub Pop Records. Now, people are like, what the fuck do you mean? Chad isn't the drummer? Nah, man, just wait. <laughs> After this, the band realized they had an issue. 
Kurt didn't like Chad's music styles, so he fired him from the band. That's when Dave Grohl came in. You know who Dave Grohl is because he's the lead man of the band The Foo Fighters. That's why you're like, why does that name sound familiar? You know who Dave is. You know who he is. It's David Dave with the hair. With the hair. There was a story around this time after Dave had joined the band where Kurt's mom, Wendy, said that Kurt was staying at her house. It was just like the day before the album was going to get released. And Kurt came running downstairs in just his underwear. Wow. His mom is so lucky. And she... (laughs) You did not just say that. She is so friggin' beautiful. She said that he, I am so fucked up right now. Hold on. <laughs> I am thinking so hard about him, Charlotte. So- <laughs> you need a minute to cool off. He had the master copy of his album. So he told his mom, like, oh my gosh, mom, like, look what I have. Do you want to listen to it? So he asked her if he could play it. And her response was only if you play it loud. His mom was kind of a rocker. So Wendy knew that Kurt was going to become a star. Like the moment she heard it, she's like, oh, this is going to change everything. And like when you hear her talk and documentaries, like you can tell she's really sincere. She knew in that moment she's like, oh, he's not mine anymore. He's he's the world's now. Like, oh, she was so proud of her son. The band started going on tour across the U.S. and England and became known really fast, actually. Along with the new drummer came a new record. Nevermind. And I'm not telling you nevermind. I'm not going to talk about it. It was called Nevermind. It also came with a new record label. In 1991, the band signed to the new record label of DGC Records. Within a month, Nevermind had hit gold. Within four months, it was the number one album. Everyone knew who Kurt was and his band was taking off. All my life, I've spelled never mind as one word, um, even though it's not one word. And so my phone and everything corrects it. And people, whenever I'm arguing or something, I'll say never mind. And people will try to correct me thinking they're like getting the last word in, you know, and I'm like, no, I, I did that on purpose. I spell never mind as one word. Like if Kurt can do it, so can I. If Kurt can do it. <laughs> so can I. I love him. Kurt's life is filled with not so great relationships with women. He obviously had a strained relationship with his mother. Then he had that strained relationship with Tracy. Then his next girlfriend was named Toby Vale. Toby was part of the music scene and the punk rock scene of the area. In 1990, the couple worked on a musical project together where they sang and played instruments called Bathtub is Real. Interesting. It could have some real cool concept art. Oh, yeah, it could. (laughs) They recorded four songs. Uh, Toby was also just part of the music scene in general. She wrote a zine called Jigsaw. I was so excited when I saw that because you and I had a conversation in the past about zines. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She wrote a zine. It was called Jigsaw. And she was also in a, a, a little a little band, if you will. She was in Bikini Kill. Wait, do you really not know who Bikini Kill is? The mm-hmm. Riot Girl Movement? Oh, yes, okay. Bikini Kill is the main band in the... Okay, so if you don't know who that band is, go watch the documentary, <laughs> The Punk Singer. It's like Kathleen Hanna's life story and stuff like that and Bikini Kill and how it influenced the Riot Girl Movement and women like empowerment, especially in the music scene and the punk scene altogether and how women really branched out. It's fucking great. But 
uh, I digress. <laughs> so earlier that day, while at a store, Toby and Kathleen Hanna, Kathleen Hanna is the lead singer of Bikini Kill. She's extremely famous. They had came upon a deodorant called Teen Spirit. I know you know where this is going, Kylie. So Kathleen told a magazine in 2016 how she felt when she saw it the first time. We were both joking around because the name looked so funny. I mean, who names a deodorant Teen Spirit? What does Teen Spirit smell like? Like a locker room? Like pot mixed with sweat? Like the smell when you throw up in your hair at a party? She's not wrong. (laughs) And that is not teen spirit spells like glitter and bath and body works. And that, um, that nineties lip gloss that you like ate more than you actually like put on, kept on your lips. I know exactly what you're talking about. Actually pink. Like I, yeah. Yeah. I can taste it more than I can like picture it in my head. I can taste it more. (laughs) So that night, while getting drunk and partying, Kathleen had found a Sharpie marker. So she started, you know, writing all over Kurt's walls because they, they did this all the time. And she wrote, Kurt smells like teen spirit on the wall. Kurt later thought about that phrase and he referred it to the earlier discussion that Kathleen and him and Toby and all them had had about teen revolution. And he thought this was a sign. Which this later leads to the most popular song from Nirvana still to this day, Smells Like Teen Spirit. At the time, Kurt wanted to actually write an anthem style song, and he wanted it to be considered a pop song almost. He wanted it to have such a catchy like beat and everything that it would be almost like pop like in that sense, which we all know the dun 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 dun. Like it is a catchy noise. So he wanted to call the song the anthem. And just be catchy enough to be listened to all the time. But then when they were actually recording it, something struck in him. He's like, yeah, no, we're not calling it the anthem. And somewhere along the line, Smells Like Teen Spirit came out. And the thing is, that's funny about this. He's like, I want a really catchy song. I want an anthem. And later, Kurt's like, why the fuck does everyone like that fucking song and be so fucking obsessed with it? It annoys the fuck out of Kurt. It's like Anthem by Good Charlotte. Well, it reminds me of uh, I write sins, not tragedy. Like if you go to a panic show and you like ask or like you yell out for that, literally Brandon's like, no, I'm not doing it. No, <laughs> he gets so angry. There's better songs. There is. Oh, my God. What's your favorite panic song? Do you have one? I do. I don't remember what it's called. I do. Uh, my fa- second favorite is Paste Chevelle. But my favorite song is Folkin' Around, the one that sounds like a country song. You would. (laughs) I like Pretty Odd, the whole album, though. The one album that everyone hates. Go figure. It's just so coming from like a like a theater standpoint. Oh, my God. Shut up. (laughs) Coming from a theater standpoint, he's so fucking talented and just like. She's still all talking about albums, Brandon Yuri. We're not talking about Kurt Cobain, guys. All of his, well, uh, all of his albums could be too, but all of Brandon's albums could become musicals. So I guess we should real quick take a take a moment. What's your favorite Nirvana song? We are talking about Nirvana. Do you have a favorite? Do you like a song? I mean, something in the way is on your playlist. Something in the way is one of my favorites. Um, 
think it is. Sorry, guys. I'm the type of person that will know all of the lyrics of the song, but, not but the will title. not know the title or like the album that it came from. I'm really bad with that. So I have like, what's the word I want? Eras of my favorite Nirvana songs. Okay. Because when I first saw Definitely Maybe with Ryan Reynolds. Love him. Come As You Are is like plastered <laughs> in that movie. And mm-hmm. I just fucking love it. And anytime I watch that movie, I listen to the song more. And then now it's just like, I think I I like the grunge. Okay. So I like the angstiness. And so however I'm feeling is how like in that time frame, in that era is how I would classify my favorite song. Huh. I don't okay. think I have an overall. So favorite. my my overall favorite is Sliver. I would say, but my like, I'm in such a good mood. I have to play it. Rolled windows down. Let's jam out for a minute. In Bloom, just I will get the happiest hell on some In Bloom by Nirvana. <laughs> there is something about it that just raises the goddamn endorphins that puts them at the roof. It makes them in bloom, if you will. Huh. Huh. Um, my favorite sad song was something in the way, but now that it's not really anymore. Like it's kind of a hype song in a weird way. Yeah, no, for real. It like, is. It yeah, makes me feel like, like I could go kick some ass. Yeah. Even though it's a sad song. Yeah. So now it's probably a plateau. <laughs> like yeah, I had to like, like change before, it. I was like, huh. Because I Batman. Yeah. Like it was I definitely heard sad. it today yeah. and I was just like listening to it and I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not sad anymore. Nope. <laughs> not at all. Nope. I feel like I could take on everything. Which I also weird. just like think about Robbie. What, what did you call Robbie him? P? Robbie P. <laughs> yeah. Robbie P and his jawline. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, <God>. let's <laughs> get back back where we were, guys. We're sorry. So we were talking about the anthem and how it annoyed the fuck out of Kurt. So Nirvana was considered the flagship band of Generation X. Wait, what generation are we? Are we Generation X? Are we the same generation? Wait, we're the same age, aren't we? We're millennials. We're millennials? Yeah. What's X? Who are the X's? Is Corey an X? Is Margie an X? <laughs> Who's an X? What's X? Tell I think me it's X. like right before. I thought it was right after. I us. think we're on the cusp. Are we cuspses? Cusps. <laughs> yeah, sorry guys. Kylie's going to give me some information on Generation X, but. But Nirvana was considered the flagship band of Generation X, which is between the time period of. Okay, so it's born after. A baby boomer, baby boomers. Okay, so it's roughly from the 1960s to the late 1970s. So it's like a lot further than I thought it was. Yeah, so it's. Huh. All right. Not really. I don't really know anyone that. That cannot be right. (laughs) Hold on. Okay, we're going to restart this paragraph one more time and we're going to say things. Wait. Yeah. No, No, it's from the 1960s to the 1980s. Yeah. And then it's Xenials and then Millennials and then Generation Y, Generation Next, Generation Z, Gen Alpha. That's what they're called. Gen Alpha. That's a fucking cool ass fucking name. I want to be a Gen Alpha. Okay. All right. We're oh, rest- I got an actual like timeline now of oh. each one. Oh, is it not? 
No, it is. Baby boomers are 1946 to 1964. Are you looking at literally the same thing I'm looking at this? No. Oh, okay. Generation okay. X is 1965 to 1980. Oh, I have 19 December of 1979. So essentially, yeah, the same thing. Yeah. Okay. We're going to restart this part. Okay. So lastly, we were talking about the anthem and how that annoyed the fuck out of Kurt. Well, Nirvana was considered the flagship band of Generation X, which Kylie and I had to look up what Generation X years actually are, which it's considered the 1965 to 1980-ish era, sorry, (laughs) which is Xenials fall in that too, but it's right before us Millennials. Us Millennials meaning me and the Kai dog over here. (laughs) (laughs) I had to sound cool since we were making us sound old. Because we're Millennials. millennials. So Kurt found himself (laughs) reluctantly (laughs) reluctantly anointed by the media as the generation's spokesman. That was exactly what Kurt didn't want. He believed people were completely lacking the point of his music and his themes of individuality. Kurt didn't like the media attention and all the fans. He resented anyone who called themselves a fan and claimed they didn't understand the band's social views. He later gets better about this. Like, he's really <laughs> grateful for his fans and, like, cares about them. But at first, Kurt was um kind of a diva when you hear things about him. It well, kinda... he pretended he was gay because he didn't like people. Yeah, he just so really like... didn't want to be people. But he's like, I also I want just... to make music all the time. Right. Okay, but if you're going to make music all the time, we're going to figure you out and think you're famous. Have... Right. You have to have fans. He should have just not been talented, but loved making music. That yeah, would have been the know. best life for him. Yeah. Well, no, because he also didn't want to do anything with his life and he like have to, to make money. He didn't want to sleep at his job. So he needed to be born with a ton of money, not be talented at music, but have enough money to make music all the time, not have to work and also just not see it. He needed to be Bruce Wayne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is exactly why Bruce Wayne is. But imp- like not yes. Batman. No, just, just Bruce. Just Bruce with with the music yeah yes bruce playing a cello in the grand foyer <laughs> a cello. i don't know it sounds like a brucey thing to do you're not wrong so kurt used heroin sporadically for the first or for these next several years by the end of 1990 his use had developed into a full-fledged addiction though kurt claimed that he was determined to get a habit as a way to self-medicate his stomach condition i keep talking about that because it's a big big thing in him Throughout most of his life, Kurt had suffered from chronic bronchitis and intense physical pain due to an undiagnosed chronic stomach condition. There are a bunch of interviews where literally at the beginning of the interview, people will be like, so Kurt, how's your stomach feeling today? Or they'll be like, Kurt, have you found anything out about your stomach? Oh, Kurt, is your stomach in pain today? Or Kurt will just be like, hey, how are you guys? I feel like shit because my stomach hurts. <laughs> like there was no if you didn't know Kurt had stomach issues, you do not know Kurt. As simple as that. But were they like cramping or was he like nauseous all the time like i want to know the specifics it, it depends sometimes he did say like i there i'm obviously speculating from what i've heard sometimes when people would ask him he'd be like oh like i just have pains in my sides and stuff which i assume yeah. sounds like cramps yeah but then there's like videos of him and courtney talking and stuff and he'll make jokes being like oh like i'm drugged up and i'm nauseous where are the needles ah and i'll like make jokes but again nausea is a sign of heroin and stuff so it could have been that part (laughs) was related to the drugs (laughs) not his stomach pains i I don't honestly have an answer for you there but i'm giving you what i do kind of know so he created 
more more issues with the heroin well yes because he probably was just having cramps at first he gives me slight vibes of oh jesse pinkman like he thinks that drugs are the the good thing but he doesn't realize drugs are the enemy they're making things worse Mm -hmm. but because you're so narrow-minded you think that this is the only good thing that's happening because it is good for that short time right it's tunnel vision made you feel better yeah yeah it's very tunnel vision earlier i mentioned kurt's dating life let's get back into the most important part of kurt's dating life courtney love there are different accounts of the time when kurt and courtney met The actual events are the same in both stories. It's just like the time period is different. But so in the story, Courtney tried to get Kurt's attention at first and it wasn't reciprocated. Early in their interactions, Kurt would just like not show up for the dates. (laughs) I don't know if he like full on like planned them out was like, yeah, be there at seven and then just not show up. Or if it was like, she'd be like, do you want to go on a date? And he's just like, "Mm, I'm not going to answer I'm not really sure how it was, but he ignored Courtney's flirtations. And in some interviews, he said it's because he was trying to live up the single life for a while. But as many people know, he was really confused because he also said he had instant feelings for Courtney the day he met her. There was a quote that I wanted to pull. So Kylie, read it for me. I was determined to be a bachelor for a few months. But I knew that I liked Courtney so much right away that it was a really hard struggle to stay away from her for so many months. He sounds like. (laughs) What does he sound like? It's just that's such a run on sentence. (laughs) Oh, just wait until I have you read more of (laughs) this. No, I know. But it's just like talks like people think he does not. filter. that's what I feel like. Like he's exactly telling me exactly how he is thinking it in his brain mm-hmm. at that very moment he's like instead of processing what i'm about to say i'm just he's michael scott <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i'll just start a sentence and i don't even know where it's where it's going it's like just, it's, it's just, just gonna going, going. <laughs> so kurt knew who courtney was via her role in the 1987 film straight to hell which is where she should have no nope, i'm not even gonna get into it okay <laughs> I said I was biased. I'm sorry. <laughs> However, um, Courtney saw Kurt for the first time while he was performing in 1989 at a show in Portland. They talked briefly after the show and Courtney said she was attracted to him instantly. Later in a book written by a man named Everett True, a friend of Kurt and Courtney, he claimed that he was the one that introduced the two, but he did it on May 17th in 1991 in Portland. I don't remember when this interview was from or whatever, but I just have a really funny thing to tell you, Kylie. There's this one time where like the band is like setting up or whatever. And I don't remember if Courtney and Kurt are dating or if they're just friends at this point. But like Courtney rushes up and someone else in the band is like, oh, Courtney, you have bangs now. And she's like, yeah, I just got bangs. Do you like them? Do you like my bangs? Do you guys see I have bangs? (laughs) And dudes just saying what they come to their head he's like yeah it makes your face not look so round all the time now and she's like what the fuck (laughs) she just like runs away she's like i can't believe you'd say that and like i don't like courtney but like kind of funny (laughs) courtney love who was she she was the lead singer of an alternative rock punk band called hole their most popular song is celebrity skin Kylie earlier found out that is an, an American Pie movie. 
It was driving me insane. I was like, where the hell is this movie from? I yeah, mean, I mean, Corey and Kylie listened to Nirvana and Hole for a minute before we started to really put us in the mindset here, guys. <laughs> Courtney had a blondish yellowish hairstyle with bright blue eyes. She dressed punk and pinup at the same time, mashing different styles to try to be unique and edgy. I think she looked trashy, but that's because I don't like her, but I'm biased, so it doesn't matter. She has an iconic raspy voice. Sounds like a smoker piece of crud voice, I guess, but whatever. Iconic. You said you're being biased. I'm, I am biased. These are my thoughts. I'm leaving them in my head. It's not my fault if my head's very loud. That's an opinion. <laughs> That's not being biased. No, it's not. <laughs> she likes to wear dramatic makeup and she has an angsty personality. Courtney was born July 9th, 1964. She is only three years older than Kurt. Her original name was Courtney Michelle Harrison. Courtney grew up all over the place and she was an ex-stripper. She would play music off and on while also acting for a short period. She had a background that was laced with her being in and out of juvie. One time she went to juvie because she stole a Kiss t-shirt. Courtney was... (laughs) What? (laughs) I was just going to breeze past that one. Yeah, you were. (laughs) I just remembered that. Sorry, I thought I would add it in for you. Already then. Yeah, Kiss t-shirt. Okay. Which, you know, who else? No, not Kiss, ACDC. Never mind. I was going to make a serial killer analogy, but I mixed up the bands. I was going to talk about Richard Ramirez, but that's ACDC. I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. So close. Yet so far. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't have a thought there. Sorry. So Courtney was married one time before she met Kurt, but she was married for less than a year. So I guess whatever. She just sucks at all relationships, apparently. I'm not doing Do good you need me to read this? <laughs> She seemed to apparently like Kurt a lot. Nope, that's not what the sentence nope. says at all. No, is it? I can type. I can read. <laughs> she seemed a lot like Kurt, but she was also extremely opposite. Kurt was shy. Kurt was quiet. Kurt was thoughtful, creative, kind, laid back, beautiful, amazing, perfect, wonderful, the greatest <laughs> thing that's ever been on our planet. And Courtney sucked. <sighs> All right, I'll read what it actually says. Courtney was said to be very loud, exuberant. She was in charge all the time. She needed to be the center of attention. She was jealous. She needed all of Kurt's attention. And she was known to be a bit of a diva. However, despite all this, it was not long before they became a couple with shared interest in music, views, and friends. Courtney's band was starting to become very popular amongst this time. Especially overseas, Nirvana was already immensely popular, though, so the couple did not suffer financial issues. And in the past, Courtney had already overcome a heroin addiction, so it was not hard for them to find drugs. So I would like to give a hint and say I think during this time the couple was doing drugs, but there is no 100% facts for us to say that. But to give you an example... Of Kurt's drug use to let us know. Yes, they were doing drugs, actually. But again, these are supposed speculations. Kurt had been doing so much heroin, it was affecting the band's tour. During a 1992 performance on SNL, Nirvana had a photo session with Michael Levine. Having used heroin just beforehand, Cobain was falling asleep during the photo shoot off and on. (laughs) How embarrassing. I love him, but how embarrassing. It's so funny to see one of those photos. He's just like zonked, zonked out. <laughs> Everyone else in the background's like, wake the fuck up. Right. And he's just like, <laughs> Michael's like, everyone looks great. Um, c- 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 
Kurt. Hey, 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 Kurt. Kurt, can I, I gotta snap a photo, buddy. You can go to bed after. But heroin makes you tired. Like, I, I see and hear that on everything. Like, any yeah. movie or thing like that, you see them falling asleep with the needle still in their arm half yeah, the time. Yeah, that's true. Which that becomes very important to this whole story. Kirk got tired when he did heroin. Remember that, Kylie. I'm not okay. saying that's a huge piece of evidence, but just remember, <laughs> Kirk gets tired when he does heroin. Okay. The morning after the band's performance on SNL, Kurt experienced his first near-death overdose from heroin. Courtney had to resuscitate him. This is not a one-time occurrence for Kurt. There were many other near-death occurrences with heroin where Courtney would have to inject nala... What is it? Nalazone? That's not one. Naloxone? Naloxone? She had to inject it by needle into Kurt's body to bring him back. What Are you am looking I thinking of? I'm thinking of NICAM. Oh. Is it like adrenaline? Yeah, no, I thought it... Maybe back then this was like a different brand? Oh, Narcan. Okay. So, okay. I understand This that. is just a different brand, yeah. It's like the generic, basically... Okay. Yep. Common brands are Narcan and Evzio. Okay. So before we really get deep in the drug hole that Kurt fell into, Nirvana, I, I want to talk about them for a minute. So they weren't just being like this little angsty band. They were also a band that stood up for a lot of political views in the 90s. So in 1992, Nirvana played for a gay rights benefit. Probably because Kurt's gay. Just, <laughs> just kidding, guys. Kurt would often speak out about being pro-choice. It led to him receiving a lot of death threats. But instead of stopping, Kurt would just make more of a point to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> like, I'm going to keep standing up for what I believe in. That's how I feel today. Like, I don't fucking care what you think. Just, yeah, like, oh, what are you going to do? Kill me so I don't have to pay off my student debt? Oh, <laughs> oh that would suck. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Well, after attaining, oh, I sound like Kermit. (laughs) (laughs) After attaining this mainstream success, Kurt had became a spokesperson for the lesser known indie bands like the Vaseline's and other bands because he would cover songs, wear their merch or talk about them. And he would also have these bands be his openers. So he wasn't just like, we're famous. I forget where we came from. He was like, yo, little guys, I want to help. Let's. Be a team. Yeah, that's kind of He was nice. not Sharpay Evans. <laughs> Back to high school musical. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, at least I'm not dogging on Courtney. I feel like that's like the fourth episode in a row that we I have don't mean to. mentioned. I haven't even musical. watched it in years. I haven't either. I still I can, haven't showed you that clip that I was going to show you. I can probably quote it, though. Oh, a a bish could quote. A bish could do a dance. I know some of the dances. Oh, wow. Um, does, that, does that impress you? Yeah. Impressive. What, what dance would you do? Oh, oh, oh. I'll do the basketball scene. Ooh. Boom. Do, do, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> okay. Let's okay. get back to the music. I can quote Mean Girls. So. Word for fucking word. Um, Same, but I would like to point something out. Controversial. Uh. I fucking hate Mean Girls. I do too. Okay, good. You know what movie rocks, though, that I can quote also word for word? Clueless. 
Love that movie. As if. As if. Cher Horowitz. Okay. Uh, so we were talking about openers of bands. <laughs> so Nirvana was doing the right thing. They were really being a good band on all fronts. While writing music, Dave Grohl said that Kurt believed music comes first, lyrics second. So Kurt focused primarily primarily on the melodies of the music and the songs. He complained when fans and rock journalists would try and decipher his lyrics and extract meanings. Which is funny because that's what like everyone does. Right. Literally. Literally. Everyone. He even said, why in the hell do journalists insist on coming up with a second rate Freudian evaluation of my lyrics when 90% of the time they even transcribe them incorrectly? <laughs> yeah they couldn't just look them off on the internet he does sound kind of diva-ish huh he does but he also just sounds like like down to earth in another way like he sounds like a diva and down to earth at the same time which is weird to think like he's just really true to to who he is yeah so even though the theory here is that kurt didn't care about his lyrics he did spend a lot of time working on them and he would pull real life events into his writing to come up with lyrics but he would do it at last minute so like he he thought about them a lot, but then like actually writing them down and putting them to the music, he would do like two days before recording. He'd be like, oh, shit. Well, all right, let's get this shit down. And then he would tell like Dave and them, he'd be like, yeah, so this one was written about when I was uh, homeless at 15 and couch surfing, blah, blah, blah. But it really doesn't have that much meaning. I just remember thinking about this stuff back then. So it's kind of like, OK, wait, <laughs> did it meet? <laughs> Whiplash. What? Come on. <laughs> Kurt said the lyrics were just piles of contradictions. So on February 24th, 1992, we're finally moving up into the 90s. Um, I was born at this time. No, I was like, I was alive. I was not. Oh, well. Two months away. Guess I really am the bigger Nirvana fan here. We knew that. Sure. <laughs> I decided to be born for them. <laughs> you- Whoa there. <laughs> A few days after the conclusion of Nirvana's Pacific Rim tour, the couple was married on Waikiki Beach in Hawaii. The couple meaning Courtney and Kurt. Courtney wore a satin and lace dress, while Kurt, the iconic man he is, wore green pajamas. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so eight people were in attendance to the ceremony, including some of Nirvana band members. At this time, the couple agreed to sign a prenup, and they said it was both of their ideas. That's important. Mm-hmm. Important to remember also. Prenups are normally pretty important. They are usually um, controversial if you want to break up, though. I will say that. Are they? Uh, what's the word I want? Starts with an M. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've had such a long day. Motive. Prenups can be a motive. Hmm, that's interesting. You bring that up. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to hint that Courtney Love <laughs> had something to do with? Dana? Dwayne Cobain's death. (laughs) (laughs) Some people speculate the reasoning for the swift marriage was due to the fact that Courtney was pregnant. This was the soon to be daughter named Frances Bean Cobain. The middle name Bean comes because when they were looking at the uh, like picture, they were like, oh, my God, she looks like a bean. I wish I was kidding, but that's that's real. (laughs) I named my pet in Toontown Bean. That's really cute now. I'll name mine Francis if you want. And we can have Francis Bean. If you want. Have you ever seen pictures of her? She's so fucking stupid hot. Well, like her parents, like 
Come on. Okay, well, her mother is not attractive one bit and looks like a sewer rat. Continuing. But her Moving dad. <laughs> let me fan myself. Um, anyways, Frances, the cutie patootie, was born August 18th, 1992. By the way, she's dating Tony Hawk's son, Riley. That is iconic. Nirvana's child and Tony Hawk's child are dating. Uh, have a baby. <laughs> have a baby. So her godparents are the lead singer of R.E.M., Michael Stipe, who is a really good friend of Kurt's. He like visits him and hangs out with him throughout the story. And actress Drew Barrymore. I fucking love her. So who was friends with Drew that were like, hey, Drew, can you was like Courtney and Drew friends? Was Kurt and Drew friends? She's like, was Drew and Michael friends? Like, how did Drew Barrymore get to be part of this? I don't know. She is the what what does she call herself? I follow her on Instagram and she's just the flower child. The flower. That kind of makes sense. Later, people claim that um, the something Carol, Rosemary Carol, I think is her name. It's the couple's um, lawyer. Later, she claims that she's the godmother. So I don't know if Drew eventually like gave up her rights or something like that. Or or she was just like a really close like family friend. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but originally everyone knew that Drew was the godmother. So the fact that Courtney was pregnant did not stop her drug use. <laughs> Lovely. Yes. Courtney said she wanted to be a mother very badly and that she would have loved to have more kids with Kurt if it was possible. She says that like after he's dead, by the way, like not oh. like that time she said okay. it. Francis was a great thing in her eyes and Kurt felt the same way. Kurt adored the fact that he helped create Francis. Kurt Aww. loved Francis more than like anything on this planet. In a 1992 article in Vanity Fair, Courtney admitted that she used heroin when she was pregnant. Later, she's like, no, Vanity Fair misquoted me. She is stupid. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This caused everyone to talk about her wild drug use and the issues that could cause for anyone who looked up to this famous couple. When I talk about my sources, I'll talk more about it, but... In Montage of Heck, there is a clip and Courtney talks about her drug usage. Go ahead, Kylie. I did do heroin when I was pregnant and then I stopped and I knew that she would be fine. So he was never concerned that our child would have. I assured him that I was built like an oxen and could carry this pregnancy to term and not have any problems. I was a young woman. The pregnancy wasn't the problem. It's the being around a junkie. While pregnant, while I'm a junkie too, and I know that the minute that baby is out, I'm going to go shoot up in celebratory fashion. That was our lifestyle. Oh, you're terrible. (laughs) You're doing really well. I know. It's a good thing that I'm like remaining calm, cool, and collected. Like, (laughs) just wait till part two. (laughs) Just wait. That's why I had to highlight all the parts where I'm about to start a ruckus so that you know, because I might just... Everything that's in front of us, it's going to be gone. I'm, I'm just going to like throw it, smash it, burn it, fire, happy, mad, angry thought feelings. Corey will not be happy with you. If All you right. Do that. I'll bring a fidget toy in here and I'll <laughs> yes, fuck around. You need that. <laughs> After Francis's birth, the Los Angeles County Department of Children's Services took the Cobains to court, stating that the couple's drug usage made them unfit parents. 
and they were wondering if Francis would end up being born with an addiction. Francis ended up being taken away while the courts deemed them unfit as parents, but they did get Francis back after the case was dropped, which wasn't super long after that. No one knows who got who hooked on the drugs again, or maybe they just never stopped. Who knows? But overall, everyone did know they had severe addictions. Friends and families would try to hold interventions to help them get clean. Kurt's goal in life, though, he said, was that he wanted to make $3 million, stop making music, and just become a junkie. Goals. <laughs> life goals. <laughs> I wonder why Sims do that. No. Right. <laughs> there was one thing Kurt cared about more than the drugs, though, and that was Francis. He said he would give up everything, including his fame, money, and music for Francis. But not the drugs? Well... Maybe he hoped Francis would grow up and do drugs with him. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's some father-daughter bonding. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you know, there are worse family bonding experiences. Uh, Children of God, you can go listen to that. We yeah. talk about some real fucked up uh, ones. That's that's uh, available. Go ahead. That's go ahead a, and that's take a, it. That's available. Take a, take a spin and listen to that if you're feeling strong. Kurt and Courtney had to take at-home drug and urine tests when they first got Francis back which apparently they passed because they got to keep Francis. But after a while, they no longer had to. So that led to the couple resuming their uninterrupted drug use. I love how you wrote P-test. I couldn't think of the word urine at the time. And I was just trying to write really fast. <laughs> so I just read it and started laughing. <laughs> I, well, drug and P-test. In one of the things I was reading, they were like, they took a shit ton of piss tests. And I was like, wow, that sentence aggressive. I'm not going to type shit ton of piss tests (laughs) their drug use led to a lot of extra drama in the relationship courtney's jealousy and need for kurt's attention all the time was getting much worse with their drug usage courtney would try to fight kurt's fans she also would complain about how his band was more famous than her band that's that's a personal problem (laughs) sounds like a courtney problem you know how we fix courtney problems we get rid of courtney okay (laughs) moving on (laughs) This is going to shock you, Kylie. Nirvana fans don't like Courtney. I wonder why. (laughs) They didn't like Courtney at the time, and she would go out of their way, out of her way, to bash them during interviews and mock them and make fun of them. Nice. There are home videos with Courtney and Kurt in them and different documentaries online all over the place. In these videos, Courtney would bash her own self being like, Oh, fans don't like me. Oh, I'm sorry that I'm just Kurt's biggest fan because I'm his wife. I'm the most hated woman in America. Oh, it must suck to be Courtney Love Cobain. And like, she thought it was funny that she's the most hated person. Hmm. She would read their reviews. She would mock them. And she just turned everything into a big joke. This did kind of affect Kurt, and he wanted to show Courtney that she was important. So during a concert, Kurt actually addressed this. And in the mic, he's like, hey, guys, Courtney thinks you all hate her. So on the count of three, we want um, I want you to shout, Courtney, we love you. One, two, three. And everyone was like, Courtney, we love you. Like they actually did it? Yeah. Well, because Kurt asked. Yeah. I would do anything for Kurt. I would tell Courtney I like her too. And then I would stab her. What? And then I'd stab her. What? In a 1993 interview and Courtney was not in this interview. Kurt let the interviewer ask him questions to get to know him personally about his personality, his art forms, everything. And you got like real genuine answers because Courtney wasn't around. 
Here are some of the things discussed in the video. You can watch us on YouTube, by the way. It's a really long video. I think it's like 50 minutes or so. And I don't remember even what you have to find to search it. Just, just watch Kurt interviews and you'll find this. Whatever. 1993. There you go. He makes comments about how he loves babies and like the concept of babies, too, because he loves the concept of life and death. He makes jokes about if he wasn't a musician, he would try to be a doctor or work in a crematorium. Okay, those are very different things. <laughs> well, he does like life and death, so he wanted both options there. Okay. His favorite store is in the Mall of America, and it's some random store where they sold plastic baby fetuses and medical supplies. And he said he would go there, get that stuff, and use it in music videos or for concepts for album covers. Interesting. <laughs> he also said, money can't buy happiness. It will only be happiness for a short time. I forgot to mention this about the baby plastic fetuses. <laughs> Kurt would have thrived in the era of Vine when people have those tiny little plastic hands on their fingertips. Yes. Kurt would have loved that. Yeah. Kurt would have made some great Vines. <laughs> also, he said in the interview, if he could meet one of his life heroes, he said he would try to meet Iggy Pop, who was his favorite, or William Burroughs. After this interview, Chris, no, that guy, Chris, <laughs> commented. <laughs> yeah, that I, guy. I backed out of that one. Nova, 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 Solik. Fuck it. <laughs> Chris in the band commented about how Kurt would often express himself in art and show off his macabre sense of humor that way. Chris said. Kurt said that he never liked literal things. He liked cryptic things. He would cut out pictures of meat from grocery store, grocery store flyers, then paste these orchids on them and all this stuff on in utero about the body. There was something about anatomy. He really liked that. You look at his art. There are these people and they're all weird, like mutants and dolls, creepy dolls. He likes cryptic things, you I say? I was about to say that. <laughs> I was trying so hard to hold it in. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh uh, cryptic? Cryptic, cryptic you say? <laughs> True to that, whenever Kurt was unable to afford art supplies, he would improvise by painting on board games or other albums, things like that. He would paint with an array of substances, including his own body fluids. Do you like that, Kylie? But like, there are many different fluids in the body. <laughs> I could name some colors he can probably make. Mm, gross. I could help him make some white. Come. That okay. was the joke. Yes, I got that. Thank you. <laughs> many of Cobain's... I'm sorry, Marty. Many of Cobain's... <laughs> <laughs> paintings, collages, and sculptures appeared in the artwork of Nirvana's albums and music videos. Kurt was getting used to the idea of being a celebrity finally, but he still didn't like it. He was just, like, dealing with it. He would have hated today's society oh yeah uh, like he would he would not have mm. okay mm -mm. he was ashamed of how fast his band was getting popular and the fame that was taking over his life he always still did try to interact with his fans at this point and he was very friendly see i told you he gets over it. but he <laughs> wanted people to notice his music and not him he like wanted those to be two separate things he didn't really like the fact that he was a rock star his biggest annoyance in life was when people wanted him to play smells like teen spirit he would even take it off set list entirely or when people would like shout it out or anything, he would just refuse to play it. 
He'd be like, no, I'm not doing that. Or like if it was written on the set list for the night, he would just skip it and move on to the next song. He was not having it with Smells Like Teen Spirit. Dang. The band was still getting used to the fact that they were stars and they were constantly on tour, but it didn't seem like this was making Kurt happy. He was losing weight. He was doing excessive amounts of drugs at this point. He had sores all over his body and he was complaining about his health getting worse, like those stomach pains and stuff. Everyone could tell his and Courtney's relationship was volatile at best. There were rumors of Courtney cheating, and most people knew that she was actually supposedly sleeping with a member of the Smashing Pumpkins. However, even though Kurt wasn't doing well, Nirvana was not slowing down. They instead went on tour. Nirvana was on tour in Europe, and they had finished up their latest set in Munich. I knew it, but I couldn't get my mouth to make that noise. Munich. I wanted to say munch, (laughs) which is not right at all. Sorry. Their latest set in Munich, Germany on March 1st, 1994. Kurt was feeling really sick, so he ended up going to the doctors and he realized he was being diagnosed and he had bronchitis and severe, severe laryngitis. Kurt ended up having to cancel a bunch of shows because he ended up losing his voice. And Courtney said, so this is coming from Courtney. Kurt called her crying, begging her to come to him because he hated himself and hated everybody. He flew himself to Rome the next day for medical treatment. On March 3rd, Courtney flew out to join Kurt and take care of him. Courtney said that they ordered room service dinners and a lot of champagne and they spent the evening together. The next morning, Courtney woke up around 5.30 a.m. and she found that Kurt had overdosed on a combination of champagne and rohypnol, which is roofies, a.k.a. the date rape drug. Kurt ended up being rushed to the hospital to get his stomach pumped. After five days of going in and out of consciousness, he was released and returned to Seattle. Courtney called this Kurt's first unsuccessful attempt at suicide. She told the story that Kurt took 50 plus pills. Here's the thing, though. The doctor said that was completely opposite. There was not that many pills at all. And he said it looked like a genuine accidental overdose because of the way that the champagne mixed with the pills. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, science. (laughs) But, you know, Courtney Love knows everything because she's fucking perfect. God. Okay, but like science. (laughs) Courtney. (laughs) So. I want to talk about why this situation happened real quick. Courtney said she never actually cheated on him. However, let's talk about Montage of Heck again. In this documentary, she said, I almost like, like, like just almost cheated on him once in London. I thought about it, but I didn't go through with it. But Kurt knew about it. And he knew that she was a giant flirt. So that's why he took the 67 row hypno pills and ended up in the coma. It's because he assumed she was going to cheat. And so he tried to, you know, commit suicide. Not because she actually cheated on him, but because she thought about cheating on him. And that, you know, just just made him need to kill himself. And Mm -hmm. it made him feel like there was some severe betrayal or rejection in his in their relationship. And yep, that's how it happened. I feel like he's not that type of person. Yeah, he doesn't seem like the type of person that's like, I feel like if anything, he'd be like, shit, that sucks. I'm going to go write about it in my journals and no, write a melody. not going to write about it. Going to like write a song, like write the music. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. 
or well he did journal a lot he could have just wrote in the journal i guess about it mm-hmm. but yeah i don't feel like he would have been like okay my fr-. or you know what he'd probably be the type to be like shit i need to get fucked up to forget this memory i'm gonna get real high on some heroin yeah like sp- not just i'm gonna take a fuck ton of rohypnol yeah now interesting enough courtney thought kurt was cheating on her a <laughs> lot of uh trust in this relationship yeah she said that he was kurt was cheating on her with Kristen Pfaff. path sorry remember who Kristen path is like remember that courtney thought this because we'll we'll talk about her okay in episode two <laughs> so you gotta remember for a whole week guys remember Kristen Pfaff. to give you a hint it's the bassist of whole Okay, so like it's it's someone Courtney knew personally. She also thought Kurt was cheating on her with his drug dealer who was a woman. Now, Courtney said the only way they would get a divorce is if he left her through infidelity and that would make her get custody. And remember, Courtney was always jealous. So she brought up the idea that if he wanted a divorce, that like, Like, keep in mind, I'm going to get the kids, the kid. And like to Kurt, that was like the end of the world. Right. So she said that while in Rome, he did say he wanted a divorce and that he wrote her a letter about it. That will also become important in part two. We'll talk more about that, but we're just going to glaze over that right now. That was suicide attempt one, according to Courtney. Now, the next attempt, number two according also to Courtney, was on March 18th, 1994. A wellness check was called into the Seattle police and it informed them that Kurt had a gun in the home with Courtney and Kurt was suicidal and he had locked himself in a room. That came from Courtney, remember? So when police arrived, they confiscated several guns, several pills and drugs. Kurt repeatedly told the police he was locking himself in the room to hide from Courtney and he was not actually suicidal. How do you feel about that, Kylie? Hmm. Paints a weird picture, doesn't it? Yeah. So this event led Courtney into orchestrating an intervention about Kurt's drug use. So on March 25th, 1994, Courtney threatened to leave Kurt, which that would have happened. (laughs) She said that if he didn't get the help he needed, she would leave again. But she threatened to take Francis with her. Then the band members threatened to break up Nirvana if he didn't fix his addiction. This event upset Kurt, and he did finally calm down, and he agreed he should enter rehab. Before going to rehab, Kurt asked his longtime friend, Dylan Carlson, who uh, I, um, in Bloom is written about Dylan Carlson, oh. side note, which is the song I was talking about earlier. Okay, um... He asked his longtime close friend, Dylan Carlson, to borrow a gun because he, you know, had all of his guns confiscated by the police recently because of the domestic dispute thing. And he felt like he needed to protect his home from intruders because there was a recent break in in his home. It was common for Kurt to actually borrow guns from Dylan, I guess. So this wasn't like out of pocket. But instead of borrowing one, Dylan's like, oh, I'll just go buy you one, man. Like, we'll use my name to buy you one. It was easier in the 90s. Dylan took Kurt to a gun store and they bought a six pound, 20 gauge Remington shotgun and a box of ammo. Dylan offered to leave the shotgun at his home, knowing that like Kurt just got in trouble with the law. 
but Kurt insisted he needed to leave it at his home for the protection. And that's the end of episode one. <laughs> Kurt, Kurt has a gun at home. You will only know what happens. Okay, well, everyone knows what happens next. But you will only know Athena's opinions. How you feel about it. On part two. <laughs> so come back for more. <laughs> it's a two-parter. It's, I was to say that. It's a two-parter. She looks like a kangaroo. She's kind of cute. Let's see if I can get a picture for the Instagram. Let me show everybody. So, guys, um, at le- Kylie, do you understand kind of who Kurt is, at least? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have any opinions yet? Like, do you like Courtney? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go there. I just need to know. Do you like her? I don't know enough about her. You don't I like don't, her? I mean, like, no, I don't like anyone that has like that jealousy like she has very toxic vibes like even yes. from an outsider opinion the way that she portrays things is not healthy but yeah. also their relationship in general is not healthy right you can't have two fiends fiending together i think it brought their relationship brought out the worst in both of them but she was terrible even without the relationship so there's that but he wasn't so if you want to know more about him, <clears throat> there are obviously a million sources you can use because everyone knows who Kurt Cobain is. Everyone knows who Courtney Love is and everyone knows who Nirvana is. But this time you're getting our opinions on it. So I'm going to tell you what I used for these episodes. I read, <laughs> read a lot of books, y'all. I read the book <laughs> Who Killed Kurt Cobain by Ian Halperson. It's $9 on Amazon. I read the book Suicide Notes by Kurt Cobain, a memoir of sorts. $19 on Amazon if you can find Jesus it that cheap. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's good. Um, <laughs> I have the book Journals by Kurt Cobain. It's his own writings. It's about $27-ish on Amazon. The book Love and Death, The Murder of Kurt Cobain by Tom Grant. Fucking phenomenal. It's $16 on Amazon. For those of you that don't know, Tom Grant is a private investigator who's very well known. And he is the private investigator that was hired by Courtney Love to investigate Kurt Cobain's disappearance and stuff. Like, spoiler alert, if you didn't know, Kurt Cobain was missing. Um, But yeah, it's a a good read. And also Tom Grant um, has a lot of his own personal transcripts in there and stuff. Uh, there are three different documentaries I watched kind of, I, well, no, I, I did watch them. Let me rephrase. I watched Montage of Heck. <laughs> I've seen it 19,000 times, so I didn't really watch it that well, but it's a documentary. It's currently on HBO Max. It's so good, though, and it's really kind of funny in parts and stuff. It goes over his whole life, so that's kind of nice. And you get to see real life interviews from everyone, including um, Horbag. I met Courtney Love. I'm sorry I pronounced that weird. Um, <laughs> I also watched the documentary About a Son. It is on Pluto, Tubi, and Amazon. And then I watched the... I. It's a documentary, I guess, but it's a dramatic documentary. It's called Soaked in Bleach. A lot of people know this one. It's on Peacock, Tubi, and Amazon. So it has Tom Grant's real recordings in it, and it has real clips in it. But then it also has the real clips done by actors 
afterwards. So like they'll tell a story of what happened. They'll do the, the transcript, but then they'll have like a fake actress, an actor of court and uh, of court of Kurt and Courtney playing that same part like a minute later. So, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of funny. Um, the girl that plays Courtney is ridiculous in it. The dude that plays Kurt, I don't think looks anything like him. So it's kind of funny. The guy that plays Tom Grant's amazing. <laughs> so um, those were just the ones that I decided to use to make this easiest because I knew they had a ton of info. There's obviously a lot more I could have done, but uh, I couldn't because I was busy writing for a million years. So for a million years. <laughs> so, guys, uh, we can't wait to hear and see you back for well, we don't ever see you, but see you back for part two. It's a two-parter. It's a two-parter. <laughs> Until then, we would like to thank a lot of you. I don't want to say who, because Kylie will. <laughs> thank you so much, David Pekofsky, for our always wonderful, awesome theme song. He texted me today and said, thank you for my shout-out. Uh, which one did he listen to? I have no idea. I was like, I shout you out every single episode. <laughs> Do you mean like in general shouting you out? Or have you listened to only one single episode? He's very confusing, this man, if you've never He's also met. on tour, so give him some credit. They just ended. They just ended. Oh, and he okay. said he had a great time. That's awesome. So go him. Artwork by Taylor with Lab Monkey Creative on Instagram. I'm going to take some pictures with him in Virginia so you guys can see what he looks like and how weird we are together. <laughs> Editing by Corey with core.media.photography on Instagram. All a huge part of the Cryptic Soup fan, so we want to say thank you. I still completely, every time, bow. <laughs> Do you really? I never, I guess, see it because I already look over to prepare that I don't have to speak next. Yeah, literally. Just, thank just, you. So we want to say Thank you. Because I like think about emphasizing it in my head. So I'm like, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> That's great. So, guys, we wanted to say uh, you can always continue the conversation with us. We would love to hear your feedback. I would love. Guys, <laughs> strike up a conversation right now with me. Oh, we'll chat. <laughs> How do you do that, you wonder? Well, you can go and follow the Instagram at Cryptic Soup Pod where our DMs are always open for suggestions and conversations. Let's talk about the case. Just slide on into those DMs. <laughs> Bitch, I fucking nailed you it. You did it. You did it. I'm I so listened proud. to double check today. <laughs> also, we have the first final Friday coming up. Ooh. You like food? Go check it out. It'll be on the Instagram. You can also leave us an Apple podcast review and rating, as well as a Spotify rating. So remember, guys, we just want you to subscribe, follow, tune in, and keep up with us. We'll see you for part, part two. <laughs> next, part <laughs> next episode, next Tuesday. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs>
We got butterfly hair clips. This intro makes no sense. Because <laughs> at the end, <laughs> this episode starts. I was so ready. I read it and I knew exactly what I, how I was going to say it. This episode, what do you want? This episode starts in 1967 and ends in 1990 exactly. So why did I put that as the intro? <laughs> <laughs> like this makes no sense. Fucking noisy. Just go down. I don't know how. Just make it go. To I'm sleep. just making it. I don't know how. You could have just went down to the power button in the public. I didn't see it, so I logged in to do it. I got one eye, I could see it. Okay, well that's cool. Congratulations. <laughs> I didn't see it. I have no eyeballs. No eyes. Hashtag no eyes. Okay, bye. Corey's gonna be like, why are you texting the group chat? <laughs> Corey, I promise that was oh important. Okay, let's get my Corey when we were. Foo Fighters. Okay. I always want to call them the Foo Foo Fighters. No. It just sounds good. <laughs> foo Foo. The Foo Foo's. No. Like the Goo Goo Dolls, the, the Foo Foo Fighters. The Foo Fighters are also one of Taylor's favorite bands. Taylor, you better be listening. But this part's getting cut out, so.